0: Uh, you have to be hungry to, to seek out food, but when you're when you're not hungry all the time, do you have the same appreciation for hunting? I don't know. That is, a, that is a thing I do think about that. I mean, for example, my kids don't really talk much about wanting to be physicians at all. Right? They they look at what I do, and they don't say, necessarily see that as something as valuable to do. I mean, they see it as valuable as someone does it. They just don't see it as something that they should be doing. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I
1: want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome Welcome aboard. dr Harmon. we're back for another episode of medical dads hello dr
0: shu how are you feeling today balanced You feeling balanced today
1: amazing it's friday i don't have to work it's a great day nice this is the closest thing to work that i have to do today is to record this show <laughs> <laughs> it was it was i was so excited about friday this week that i actually woke up at 6 30 on my own for no reason So I'm actually exhausted right now on my day off. It's midday and I'm exhausted already.
0: Exhausted because you're doing all this stuff around the house uh, to prepare to make things ready for when your family comes home?
1: No, exhausted because I woke up at 6.30. I could have really used 30 minutes of sleep.
0: Did you get up in your pajamas, watch cartoons and eat cereal?
1: Yeah, I wish. Oddly, oddly, this morning was very bizarre. I woke up at 6.30 and then like two minutes, I'm lying in bed, not moving, thinking maybe if I don't move. Sleep will return, right? The goddess of sleep will return, but no. Instead, I hear my son's footsteps pitter-pattering outside, right? And then, like two minutes later, I get out of bed. I look, he's up, sitting there, and my daughter's light is on. She's already up. It's like 6:40 in the morning, right? I-, I don't understand what's going on anymore. Uh, early to uh, what's that Early bird catches the worm, or.
0: Uh early to bed early to rise makes a man healthy wealthy and wise maybe your kids are following these instructions these
1: maybe idiots. maybe but we did not go to bed that early like i can understand them getting up before seven if we get a really early bedtime in yeah last night was a bit of a f- farce right <laughs> so we can talk about it more on the show but they my daughter went to bed at like 9.45, which is a good 30 minutes later than we would prefer. Yeah. And now she's up at 6.30. I was like, I'm trying to do the math in my head of how many hours of sleep that actually was. I was Whatever number it came out to, it's not enough for an eight-year-old. I'll tell you that much.
0: We've recently just decided that we're going to try to have a more strict uh, bedtime routine at our house. <laughs> um, not because the kids so much as... Uh, for me, uh, I guess, or for us as the adults, (laughs) not, not for for you and your wife, but like when, when bedtime kind of drifts around, uh, I can easily in the evening start working on something, uh, Mm. saying, okay, well, I got to finish some charts from the day or there's some resident issue I have to deal with, or there's some presentation or, or report due tomorrow. There's always something right. Uh, so Mm. I can get started working on these reports and then, uh, you know, that puts my wife in a position where she either has to come into the room and tell me, hey, look, I'm putting the kids to bed now. Uh, so are you going to come and help me? Or uh, or I just have to sort of, I guess, r- look up at the clock and say, OK, I guess I'll go put the kids to bed to bed now. Mm-hmm. But so now we're trying to do it where, OK, it's well known. It's, it's accepted. Eight o'clock is the time at which uh, we're putting the kids to bed. So that will make it easier hopefully for everybody, for me to at least have in mind that all right, well at eight o'clock is where I'm gonna stop whatever it is I'm doing, and then I gotta
1: come start putting the kids to bed. So your kids go to bed at eight, and what time are they up in the morning?
0: Uh, same thing, like some days 6.40, some days, some days well, earlier. Well, that's solid
1: though. They're getting a good 10 hours, 45 minutes of sleep in, well, that's in a day like eight that. Eight o'clock is when we initiate the bedtime process.
0: What time they actually <laughs> fall asleep, that's a whole other separate thing. <laughs>
1: You would think that the process would precipitate sleep within a few minutes, you would think. Yeah,
0: yeah if you had no kids, you would think that, sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so tell me, let's break this down. Yeah, I'm curious now. What ages are your kids and what time are they actually averaging going to sleep, each one? You go down the list. All right,
0: so let's start with the seven-year-old, so the one who turns seven in March. So, uh, yeah, she's going to bed the same time as everybody else we're putting them all in their bed at... Uh, at eight o'clock now, right? Uh, mm. She's already jammied, already brushed. She's already got her teeth brushed and her jammies on, and she's in the bed by 8.05. Well, While the other, uh, the sister whom she shares a room with, uh, that would be the, the nine-year, uh, the eight-year-old who will be turning nine in, in July. So mm. the, that sister, she's still using the toilet, uh, hasn't finished brushing her teeth. She's decided she needs to take a little shower before she goes to bed. So. Uh, so yeah, so I got well, the youngest one is under the covers, ready to go. The other one is still doing all these things to either delay it or just is working on her own delayed time schedule. But anyhow, <laughs> by uh, well, she so the youngest one is the first one to fall asleep. And I, I think if everybody was in bed being quiet, then she could on some nights anyway be asleep within fifteen twenty minutes potentially. Okay. Uh, but but she's not at least not every <laughs> night. So. On this particular night, uh, so for we're using last night as an example by, I think it was something like 8.40 by the time that one was, uh, by that was asleep. Okay. Yeah. The uh, the eight-year-old that I just mentioned, so yeah, she also, we're starting to get her the process uh, to bed at eight, and the reason why when we're starting at 8.30 bedtime is we have to start a whole half hour early. is basically because of her, <laughs> her kind of
1: antics. <laughs> a toddler, I, I
0: see. That's right. My toddler daughter. Um, so yeah, she's sort of in bed, but then she's got a pen and paper and crayons in her bed or coloring pencils in her bed. You're like, whoa, whoa, (laughs) what what, what are you doing? Uh, She's saying, she's asking for things like, do you have a ruler? Uh, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, uh, Before I ask that question, what do you need a ruler for at bedtime? (laughs) These type of things. Uh, so yeah, I think she would have been maybe the second to last to actually fall asleep last night i think i went by her room at nine o'clock or something and she's still in her bed kind of playing that's with her fingers not and at the
1: ceiling. that's not too
0: bad yeah, all right it's not too bad then uh uh next up is the boy uh he is uh 10 he's going to turn 11 in august so hmm. he's uh he's reading in his room so he he can get his pajamas on his, his teeth brushed and there's a little bit of work to make sure that he's not uh, interacting or bugging one or if not all of his sisters or whatnot but uh, <laughs> yeah he's by 8:30. he's in his room and he's 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 reading in his bed and uh i think if i forced him to turn off his lights and go to sleep he'd fall asleep pretty fast but i kind of let him stay up a bit later reading because because i'm letting the older sister do that and then mm. yeah then there's her she's probably the last one to fall asleep at night uh, she also is easily in bed and has her pajamas on by 8 to 8.15. But then uh, she usually has, uh, like, likes to have a like time talking, chatting with my wife at nighttime. And it's always these before-bed chats that uh, extend the bedtime. And when all these <laughs> things are coming up that you're like, you couldn't bring this up like while we're alone in the car on a Saturday afternoon? It has to be at bedtime that some existential crisis starts to come to light. <laughs> uh, or for my son, it's a lot of... Uh, the uh, confessions, all the bedtime confessions coming up. Oh, I've been feeling really <laughs> guilty about this thing. Oh, okay. What's this thing? Well, uh, I, uh, I, I pushed somebody at school <laughs> You're like, Oh, okay. And what did they say? Oh, I can't remember. It was a year ago. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> this is keeping you up at night now. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So the last kid is, uh, the oldest kid. She's she's probably potentially still reading at like 9.15 or 9.30 and you kind of come by the room and say, oh, okay, you got to turn your lights out too. And then they're all, they're all asleep by
1: 10. Uh. I'm very envious, man. I'm very. Envious. Seems like you guys have the sleep thing going well over there. I, at the very least, the last one is in bed and asleep by nine fifteen, and that that's um already amazing. And nice. she's much older.
0: That's that's on some nights, you know. That's not every night. <laughs> some some nights it's ten thirty. We're going to bed and kids are still awake. <laughs> we're like, what's going on? But at least they're in their rooms, I suppose, by three.
1: <laughs> okay, good. We want to we want to be realistic for parents out there. We don't want to set the bar so high that people can't listen to us anymore. That's right. I I don't know. In our house, my son, well they're both toddlers, but my son, especially like in general, maybe it's a second kid thing. Yeah. He just doesn't listen to anything we say. Like, you know, we're like, yo, time for bed, get upstairs, you know, get into the shower. No response. Yo, get upstairs, get in. Like I'll say it like five times, eight times, 10 times, depending on the mood I'm in. And he, he knows just to tune me out. Right. So that's his thing now. He's like, He's about almost six. So he's very good at tuning us out. I have to go up there with him for his bedtime routine. Like he has to go use the potty, take a shower, brush his teeth, change his clothes. Like this, this, that, I just described that to you. You, You'd think 10 minutes, 15, (laughs) 20 minutes. (laughs) If left to his own devices could be like 30 minutes. Like I've, I've gone away. He's finished showering and just has to get his clothes on. Right. I go you know do some other stuff. Come back. he's still standing there no clothes on right I've already put his underpants and his undershirt on the bed he just needs to slide them over put his legs through the holes right And yeah. then, <laughs> but he's distracted he's standing there reading comics naked right <laughs> and then I'm like yo put on the underpants put on and then part of me is like I should just put them on for him like I'll just put on the bloody underpants for him but then part of me is like he must learn to put on his own underpants you must gain independence <laughs> right so it's like this never ending tug of war of should he be gaining independence or should we actually be just going to bed on time?
0: Uh, these these type of antics are why we had to set a, an 8 o'clock time for me to be alerted <laughs> to the time when I got to participate <laughs> in the bedtime routine. Because you know, you'd think, yeah, it's, uh, they don't need us to physically put on their pajamas anymore. They don't need us to physically <laughs> brush their teeth the way I would have brushed their teeth for them when they were, you know, like 18 months old. Uh, so... Yeah, you'd think I could say, all right, you guys go up and get started to bed. I'll come check on you. Maybe I'll send off a few quick work emails before I, uh, before mm-hmm. I come upstairs. But then, uh, while I'm in my office doing that, uh, before you know it, you hear kids uh, making a lot of noise, kids screaming, all this kind of stuff. And then that's when for my wife, it's like, I could use an extra set of hands up here. So uh, yeah, oftentimes that bedtime routine is just standing in the room. I'm just there as a presence so that they know that they have to keep doing what they're supposed to be doing. And every once in a while I'm saying, have you brushed your teeth yet? I'm about to, you were about to 10 minutes ago. What have you been doing for the whole time you you were in the bathroom? A lot of that, Uh, that's the bedtime routine.
1: So in case people have not figured out what we're talking about today on the show, and we, it's not that we just decide to give a really long-winded bedtime discussion. What we're talking about today is work-life balance, and work-life balance for our children and for us, that's right. and what that means.
0: <laughs> yeah, which I guess I'm talking about when I'm talking about me being in my office doing, doing work done while family stuff is going on that that I should be helping with. I guess that's an example of work right. work-life balance.
1: Well, it's also a, an issue of like the kids having to balance their own schoolwork, their own responsibilities with. It's time for sleep with time for self-care, Yeah. yada, yada, yada. Like, we're, we're talking about bedtime. Lately, my son's been on this kick about his reading log. So yeah. he's in senior kindergarten. His class has given him this thing where every book he reads, he can write it down on the log. And if he fills up one page of the log, which is like, I don't know, maybe 15 books, he gets a prize, right? So he's really incentivized to go try to chase these prizes, right? Yeah. And so one night... One night last week, I think it was a Sunday night, and Sundays are, we'll get there probably during this conversation, but a super busy day in our family. Mm -hmm. And we get to the end of the day, and the kids look wiped out. And I remember this Sunday, I was going out to pick up groceries, and my wife was like, I think I should get him up to her bed. And this was like at 6.45. I'm heading out to get the groceries. And she's like, I'm going to try to get him up. Well, I go and get the groceries. I come back from the store. I unload the groceries, load them into the fridge. My son's still sitting at the front of the house working on his reading log. Yeah. Right? <laughs> because he's determined that he needs to finish the log so he can get a prize tomorrow. Yeah. At which point, I'm looking at the clock. It's now like 7.55, right? And his true bedtime is probably should be around 7.30. Yeah. Right? And Because like your kids are going to bed at 8, and he's a little bit younger than your yeah. kids. So... So it's it's getting to eight, and now Dad's starting to blow up. He's I, I'm like, how long are we going to continue this for? Like it's Sunday. Like the reading log is not even a real assignment. It's open ended. You can finish it whenever. There's no nothing that says you got to bring it on Monday. Yeah. Right. It's, is the prize so important? You want this little eraser so badly. Right. And st- no reaction. He continues logging his books. Right. <laughs> and and the thing is, he's he's a real stickler for like honesty when it comes to the reading log yeah like the reading log says you you can only write down the title of a book you've read right and i bought i had just bought him a bernstein bears six in one book like it's six books for the price of one (laughs) which you'd think you could now write down six books he's like no 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 that's cheating. That's only one book. I'm like, you're going to read six books and then you write it down as one book. He's like, that's the rule. You can't, you can't violate the rule. I'm like, Oh man, you
0: know what the other rule is, is that you have to get to bed when I tell you it's bedtime. (laughs) What do you think of that rule?
1: So then, so then I I I I started, I got him upstairs, like, you know, manually with a lot of yelling. Yeah. And he was pissed about it, right? So he stomps up the stairs. I stomp up after. I'm like, you can stomp up the stairs. I can stomp even louder than you. Watch this. <laughs> and then then my wife gets mad at me for making a scene. I'm like, You told me an hour and a half ago that it was his bedtime. It's now eight fifteen. He's still <laughs> he's still dawdling around with his reading log, right? Then he's in the shower, and I finally I'm like, okay, I'm losing it. This is kind of un- inappropriate. Maybe just to get his him through. I'm like, look, finish your shower. If you finish your shower, I'll let you go and finish your reading log. <laughs> right. So next thing you know, he finishes shower. He's dressed. He's back downstairs filling out the reading log again. I'm like, we're going towards like eight thirty at this point. I don't even know what principles i'm trying to enact by parenting at this stage (laughs) and eventually just eventually he goes to bed on his own at like 8 30 which i was like this is way too late we've had a super long day poor parenting all around i don't know i don't know how you do it man this eight o'clock thing it's it's ridiculous Uh,
0: it's a starting point it's a starting point in the evening i can't say that it's always uh, that everybody's
1: (laughs) snoozing comfortably in their bed by 9
0: 15 but yes indeed the whole bedtime thing it's funny because we, you know, we talk about work-life balance, or what do we call it? We call it work-life balance. Yeah, work-life balance, right? I uh, guess so. So people often interpret that as uh, your job, and then you are uh, like doing things to to make yourself feel good, your wellness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not necessarily what work-life balance means. It's like, it, it could be work and then balancing your, just your family life. So you could still be at home doing lots of things that are work, but they're not work for your job. These are the things that you're doing that are work for your family. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's, it's probably more appropriate to call it just straight up life balance and all the different facets of your life in balance with one another is probably better because you don't need a job necessarily to have problems with balance.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point, right? Like somebody who is constantly doing stuff around the home, they're doing the laundry. They're mowing the lawn. Uh, they're constantly cleaning yeah. the house. And there's never a point where they can sit down with their spouse and be like, okay, that's enough for now. Let's rest. Because they're always looking around the house, being like, there's something else that I have to do. I can't, right. r- I can't spend time with you. Uh, that could become a never-ending. There's so many things to do around the house. It could become a never-ending. That you never right. really do spend that time until you're exhausted. <laughs> you know?
1: Exactly. The only time so you spend is exhausted. The question, that, the question that you had phrased to me was, what is our expectation for our children's work-life balance in the future? Yes, right? which is which is I guess what we're gonna get to. But I thought maybe we could start by talking about what was our parents' work-life balance like when we were growing up, with them, as 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 a departure point. Like, because that's where we see work-life start to manifest itself, and they're probably our main role models. Looking back on it,
0: yeah, that's interesting because my. Uh, you know, using my mother as an example, we just recently did the Mother's Day episode, uh, mm-hmm. so you know, I could talk about how she did all these things to balance her her home life in terms of she worked night shifts so that she could be around during the daytime uh, to get things done during the day and to to be able to keep an eye on kids during the day and that type of thing. Uh, so in that from that point of view, she worked really hard to keep a balance, but. When I sort of think of leisure time, did my did my mother have a lot of leisure time? I think we uh, are striving for much more leisure time than our parents got. Or, yeah, I think that's <laughs> probably fair to say. Your experience too?
1: Abs- absolutely. I don't think my parents knew the meaning of the word leisure time the way North Americans do. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean... Did your parents go on vacations, like long holidays, like a week, take a week off, two weeks off to travel? Was that a thing? Because this was not really a thing for our family growing up. Uh,
0: we, they, yeah, they took vacation, not vacation where they would frequently go off and travel without us. Uh, hmm. So, you know, who's that va- a trip to Canada's Wonderland? Who's that vacation really for? Uh, <laughs> you know? uh, so yeah, they did. We did travel as a family, but how often did my parents? Go out on just date nights or uh, vacation just for themselves, that type of thing. It's, it didn't never happen, but it was extremely rare.
1: How about, okay, how about vacations with the family? Like everyone put everything down for a week. We're going to Disney or something. Like Yeah, did your parents I would say we, do that we probably
0: did some sort of vacation like that pretty much every summer.
1: Okay. You well, guys know. Our, fa- our family did not do that stuff that regularly. Okay. We had instead of having vacations, a few times we went back to Taiwan. So my parents saw their family. But in hindsight, that always felt like vacation for me. Right. right, It was like this big trip, this big adventure. But in hindsight, when I look back on it, it didn't happen that many times. And it only happened for a reason. Like there was a year my dad got invited to go, you know, be in a conference yeah. as part of like, uh, you know, all these Taiwanese nationals that moved overseas. They invited them back to be at a conference. Another time was when, you know, we went for my grandfather's funeral or another time was because my sister was ill and they needed help looking after. her. There was always some mitigating reason. Yeah. <laughs> there was always some reason that we had to go. And it was never just because we wanted to just go for fun. Whereas yeah. now if, you know, I say to my kids, let's go to Taiwan for the summer. You know, if we ever get out of COVID, then it's going to be just for fun. There's no, God, no there's not going to be any other reason to go. Right. And so it became this thing where like my parents, they, they left Taiwan in the 70s. And they came to North America. And then we went a few times when we were younger for these reasons. And then because there were no more reasons after a while, yeah. they just didn't go back. So at the end of medical school, I went back with them. And then their relatives were like, how long has it been since you've returned? My mom would look at them and be like, oh, about 15 years, right? Like yeah. life just flies by. You don't you don't go anywhere. You don't do anything. And it just flies by, yeah. right? So I always look at my parents as a textbook example of like the, the immigrant experience where like you're saving, 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 saving saving money, right, and banking it. And then next thing you know, time has passed. And 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 it's good. It's good to save. But there comes a time in your life where you have to do the other part, where you have to balance stuff and spend a bit, enjoy, relax. And they never taught us that part. So even now, me as an adult, as a physician, I'm struggling with this aspect of it, right? Because I kind of know that, you know, we need to have a better balance. We should be okay to spend. But that old school mentality, you know, sticks in your craw and you can't get it get out of it. So I, I think this balance issue has a has a lot to do with money, actually, okay. because because money is the thing that allows balance a lot of the time, and it's the thing that prevents people from having proper balance in many cases, right? We we talk about work life balance. It's essentially saying the pursuit of money, which is the purpose of work, all work, <laughs> right? can skew a person's life in a way where they're suddenly out of balance. And that's a very, very common scenario. It's not just my parents, right? It's, it's everyone has that issue to some degree.
0: It's true. If we didn't have to chase the dollar, uh, it would be a very <laughs> different kind of conversation you're having about balance. But it's, it seems like it is easier to take a person who's a hardworking person. It's easier to have someone work hard first and then uh, scale it back to say, okay, now you got to focus more on yourself. Which is a lot of the way, you know, a lot of parents is how they raise their kids. You know, you work hard in school. Uh, you know, something like medical school. Well, okay, it's going to be intense. You're going to be working hard there. But then later, you get your reward, and then there's your balance. As opposed mm. to along the way, on a daily basis, be really focused on that uh, on that balance. <laughs> but I, I wonder sometimes with the you know, with kids. Uh, do I look at my kids and think, yeah, you know, the problem here for them is with their work-life balance, I, I'm making them work too hard. They do too much work <laughs> around the house and everything else, and they don't take enough time to appreciate the things they like. Uh, certainly when I'm interviewing, because, uh, you know, in my role in the hospital, sometimes I have to interview people for different positions, like residency positions or fellowship positions or even jobs. And it's funny how you know, work-life balance becomes such a buzzword uh, or a buzz expression, say, that people think that's an important thing to talk about in their interviews, and we actually do want to know that we're going to hire people who aren't going to burn out. Uh, but they come at it, say, you know, saying, "Okay, what are some of your strengths?" And the first strength they want to talk about is how they take care of himself, and they, you know, they've learned <laughs> to say no to things when they're asked. It's like, you know, what the problem that I'm having with the newest generation of people I hire isn't that they take on too much and work too hard, uh, and somebody has <laughs> to correct them, uh, uh, get more work like that. That is not, uh, that is not the problem. <laughs> right? Uh, So a lot oftentimes work-life balance in the context of your employer is them saying, yes, we want you to be able to work without complaining that your life is out of balance. Uh, That's that's what we might work life balance. We don't we don't need to know. We don't want you to work (laughs) less so that your life is in balance.
1: It's it's a difficult thing, because as we've talked about in the past, historically, our job had very poor work-life balance. Right. And many jobs historically were just centered on work. Right. And. To some degree, even now, like if you want to get ahead in whatever it is you're doing, or you want to go beyond, you know, what everyone else is doing, you just have to put in more time. That is a part of it, yeah. And, and that is a challenge because time spent on that is time taken away from other things in your life, which then suffer. Like how many, how many times have we heard, you know, in our generation, in the older generation especially, that dad wasn't home, dad was always at work, right? Or the family ended up falling apart because dad was never around. Like these are common scenarios that. Have happened over the several decades
0: yeah well you know i think I'll, there's a sort of maybe it's a romanticized idea almost of the the old school dad who yeah he's never around because he's working so hard uh, and that's why he's got poor work-life balance and things fall apart at home because he's just constantly at work uh but i think there's an unrecognized element of how much it's you know when the dad is not at work he's still not investing uh in the family uh, to truly make his <laughs> the rest of his life in balance. So yeah, he works super hard, and then when he finishes his like late shift or that, he goes to Mo's. Where right? <laughs> <laughs> he's he, you know, these dads, they work so hard, and then they go on their fishing trip or their whatever. Uh, but uh, that's not something that contributes in any way to flourishing or fostering their the their life balance with their family or their family balance. Mm-hmm. Right, and mm-hmm. uh, that's where that's where your life balance can also fall apart. It's not just an absence of being at work
1: right so how did you think about this issue when you went into medicine because probably it's something you, you had to think about at some point in your career
0: yeah you know I think where I thought about life balance is was coming from a perspective of what are the things that I actually want to achieve or have in life so I knew one of the things I wanted to have was a job as a physician so Uh, often it's like, okay, well, what are the things I have to sacrifice or give up to have this job as a physician? And that's a goal Mm -hmm. that I already know I want to have. So uh, whatever needs to be sacrificed to make that goal a reality, that's what I have to sacrifice. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the sort of thing, the the check and balance to keep it in, I guess, in, in balance is asking yourself, okay, wait a minute. Am I sacrificing this because it is necessary to be a physician or to persist in medicine? and then the other balances or the other things i knew i wanted to have in life uh, were things like having a family other you know, things like having right. a spouse and so there would be times in medicine where i'd say yeah you know this is actually going to maybe affect uh who i impress on this rotation but i still need to sacrifice a little something or i won't be able to achieve having a family and so mm-hmm. uh yeah, definitely there were times where I said, ah, you know, I need to do this social thing or I need to make time to for this girl or I need to go on this date because if I don't, I'm not gonna achieve <laughs> the other goals that I want. <laughs> so I looked at it that way a lot when I was in when I was in medicine or med school. Mm-hmm.
1: Were you conscious of like, you know, trying to as your career progressed till until now, are you are you consciously trying to set aside more time for your children? Like, are there uh, active opportunities that your career could be flourishing in that you that you can recall like turning them down or or deferring them until later because you just don't want to deal with it right now?
0: Uh, yeah, I suppose that's probably fair to say. Uh, I mean, for example, at my job, we have a divisions are the the there's the department of pediatrics so then there's all these divisions within the department of pediatrics and i'm in the division of emergency medicine and each division has a division head and that is a job that if i had no family and i wasn't striving to have family and balance i might say yeah then let me push my career further by trying to become the head of that division mm-hmm. uh and well, I think as it is right now, I wouldn't be a bad candidate for that. I think sometimes when people are saying like, yeah, you know, who's going to replace the division head when the time comes? People do sometimes wonder like, oh, Stuart, would you do, would you do that? And because of the impact I think it would have on like ma- ma- making me have to bring work home on top of what I already do and how that would affect my family, that's one of the reasons why I don't sort of strive for that for that job, where mm-hmm. I otherwise might if I wasn't thinking family.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But most of the time, I think it's more the not the big things, but the micro things, the little things where you would say like, yeah, I could uh, agree to take an extra shift or I could uh, agree to uh, take on and be on an extra committee, but I don't because I know, oh, yeah, but then that's going to take up time on weekends or on evenings uh, where I'm not going to do that job properly. And it's going to mess with the family life.
1: Not to mention mess with our podcasting schedule. (laughs) That's right. (laughs)
0: that's why we always find a way we'll always find a way to make a podcast
1: happen (laughs) an important part of work-life balance is to keep the things that keep you going on your schedule that's why we're here
0: but i think a lot of work-life balance really is making time management and making use of your time when you're not at work uh Mm. so that you are actually maximizing uh your family life or your if you're not having a family life whatever it is that you want to have in life
1: absolutely so getting back to our parents one of the problems that I had growing up was that when it wasn't a problem growing up, but it was a problem in hindsight was that my parents were very, very, very good at saving and they're very good at taking care of themselves. Right. So we all learned that, you know, you got to take care of yourself, which means, you know, you got to learn how to cook. You got to learn. Don't rely on other people to do things for you. You know how to do everything yourself. Right. So even now as an adult, I have this mindset that I can do all these things better than the next person. Right. If, if I need my lawn cut, well, who's gonna cut it the best? It's gonna be me, right? Yeah. I hire I hire people to cut the lawn, and do they accidentally get into the flower beds and chop down some of my irises every spring? Okay. Yes, absolutely, right. If I was cutting it, that would not have happened, right? Yeah. But if but if I was cutting it, I'd be cutting it every three weeks because I don't have time to do it, right? But my parents had drilled in me this concept that you know you look after yourself. You don't really need to get hired help for every single thing. I didn't cu- I didn't grow up in a family that had that, right? At yeah. the same time, I grew up in a family where my mom was at home most of the time, so she was able to look after all a lot of these things. And yeah. now, you know, you know, I'm in a family with two professionals. You know, our kids are young. It's super busy. Suddenly, it's like, whoa, I got to do all these things myself? Like, how practical is this, right? Yeah. At the same time, you know, we've talked about this in our, you know, episode on Hired Help, that sometimes I feel bad hiring people to do this stuff. It's, it's Sometimes it's, like, really the stuff no one wants to do, right? Like, yeah. clean that toilet, right? It's like... <laughs> Honestly, I could do it quickly if I just took another 10 minutes or whatever. And I think it plays into this whole mindset that we have, especially as physicians, because we go through this, like, medical school training. And, and it kind of teaches us to be very good at de- being dependent on ourselves and nobody else, right? I, I think my one main criticism of, of medical education is that you don't really learn how to work in a team. And then suddenly, as an adult or a staff, you're suddenly... On a team or in charge of a team and you got to figure that out right but yet Uh, you're still used to doing every single thing yourself up to that point because essentially the way you've been selected to get into medical school and to progress through school is you do well on your tests right you do well on your exams you do well when you impress your supervisor these are all like linear one-to-one things you have no idea how to handle a team around you
0: i see what you mean i i guess because i'm still very connected with the academic learning, teaching side of medicine, because of of where I work, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if I see it quite the same way since residency, teamwork is a big part of that. And an emergency department, we run resuscitations as part of a team. So we do a lot of drills and stuff to practice working as a team. And, uh, you know, residents and fellows get rated or graded partly on their teamwork ability. Yeah. Yeah. But but, uh, but I, I do know what you mean in terms of you're very self driven in in medicine. And at the end of the day, you are sort of your own boss, uh, right. for, usually. So, you, yeah, I could see how it could be sometimes not that easy to say I'm going to completely rely on someone else. I'm going to put myself in a position where, look, I can't do this myself. I'm not keeping an eye on it. Somebody else is doing it completely. It's
1: not that easy to do. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example, like, I'll give you an example. Like We've yeah. been running our own little clinic, right, which is like a, a side gig on top of the art and practice of medicine yeah. for the last few years. And so as the clinic started running, initially, we were like, okay, we should just do all these things ourselves. Do we need an accountant? Do we need a bookkeeper? We're like, no, oh, that's easy. I'll do that myself. Right? Do we need... Do we need IT support? Oh, no, I I know all about computers. I'll keep it running myself, right? And I I drew the line at cleaning. I'm like, I'm not cleaning the clinic. I'm already cleaning at home. (laughs) We're going to hire a cleaner to come in a couple times a week, right? But all of these things, we just kept doing it ourselves until you realize, like, I don't know. I don't know why Steve Jobs always floats in these examples, but I'm thinking to myself, Steve Jobs was not at Apple, like, Like collecting the cash each, each time I, each time somebody in the world bought an iPod right or an iPod shuffle. Like Steve Jobs wasn't the one counting the numbers and make sure it was accurate. Right. Steve Jobs was not the one making sure that his staff, you know, were like all working hard every day. Right. Steve Jobs had stuff to do. Right. I'm like, I know I'm not Steve Jobs. Right. But can't David Jobs, you know, just be a little bit above the fray. Like that, that was my thing. Right. And and Steve Jobs
0: was Steve Jobs made money by having, having other people do these things, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
0: Some, somebody is actually doing the work of selling that iPod and collecting the cash for it and putting it in the till, but mm-hmm. that person's only getting a percentage of the profit and Steve Jobs getting a, a, a skim off of all of that, right? <laughs> so uh, that is a good money strategy is to think about money in terms of how can I earn money without physically having to do something myself? Right. That's a little bit different than shoveling your driveway. <laughs>
1: since you're not making money by somebody shoveling your driveway right but if it's related to your business it it could be right and, and it gets into this yeah. bigger issue of opportunity cost like you could be shoveling your driveway but you could yeah. also be doing something else whether it's spending time with your children or something that's financially rewarding you know it could be something spiritually rewarding or emotionally rewarding right yeah. or rewarding for your son or something right instead of just shoveling right and for my parents it was always like Shovel? Okay, I'll do it myself. My my dad did his own taxes. I don't know. Maybe you do your own taxes, but my, it's always blows my mind that my dad would sit there at tax time, bust out these like, you know, and this was back before computers, right? You bust <laughs> out the actual CRA sheets and slowly fill in these numbers, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just thinking about that gives me gives me a headache right now. Thinking about that.
0: There are things I I I have a like an accounting firm that does my. This is my taxes. Yeah. Although sometimes when you get those bills back and you look at, uh, the, when I do my taxes, I have to fill in all this information myself. There's a lot I have to do myself. Um, and so sometimes when you're finished doing it, you are thinking like, okay, for how much I just got charged by the accounting firm, <laughs> uh, how, like, could I be doing this myself? Should I well, be doing this myself?
1: Well, first of all, my dad you know he had dementia you know in the later years yeah. of and we think probably he was fairly confused filling out the taxes at some point <laughs> but even without being confused at the end we realized in the last few years that there were a whole bunch of things he could have claimed to oh. get money back that he didn't even know about right because how is a regular guy supposed to know all the tax rules like there are actual people out there named accountants who are paid to be versed in the tax rules right to save yeah. you money and and their tax, my parents' taxes are straightforward. It costs, like a, even today, like $90 for their tax return. Oh, how many funny. hours did my dad spend on that thing to lose money? Like He could have just spent the equivalent of $90 like 15 years ago and yeah. still come out ahead, right? So growing up, I was acutely aware that something was really wrong with my parents' calculation about the value of time and money. <laughs> yeah. But the problem was that as an adult, I didn't really know how to fix it. And it's, even now, it's, you know, I'm in my 40s. It's a challenge to try to undo this weird brainwashing that I had done to me as a kid.
0: So did you, could you think of a, a point in your career where you made a big career decision uh, to prioritize family or work-life balance?
1: Actually, not really. The, the problem is it went backwards. Initially, when I started my career, I was like, I'm just gonna work part-time and I'm gonna write novels on the side. Okay. right so initially the first year i worked i started work at 11 o'clock in the morning right i was supposed to have like two hours of writing time before work i did that for a while until i realized like getting home at seven thirty was a little bit much right right so gradually we whittled that down and then and then i got married then we had to buy a house and then and then now we hit this point where we're just getting busier and busier right so yeah. what ended up happening was i started working And i was pretty happy working as an associate in you know as in a clinic for uh, you know another boss right and then we moved to another clinic where my friend was the boss and i was just happy working and then at some point we were like you know what i should just run my own office Right. So suddenly we're like, OK, we'll just em- we'll just embrace this idea of running our own office and add all this stuff to our plate that before I didn't have to worry about. Right. Now I have to worry about the, the well-being of my staff. I have if anyone quits, I have to replace them. You know, yeah. if the computer breaks. I can't just bitch about it the way I used to. I actually have to fix the thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so we just added that to my plate. Then the last few years, I was like, you know, what? it's pretty fun to teach med students and residents. So now I started doing a lot more teaching. And all these things just keep getting added onto my plate. My plate was already full. Now we're adding more and more and more, right? And then the kids arrive. So they're just watching dad struggling to juggle all this garbage in his life now. Yeah. It's insane. But
0: that is a good insight into the whole thing of work-life balance or, or, or just life balance. Is that it's not always turning down the gigantic promotion of the big job. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what kills most of us is all the little things that we take on. That someone says, like, will you do this? And you think, Yeah, you know what? I could do that. That would be, I might even enjoy doing that. Uh, it's just one little thing, but then you, know, you start to take on more and more and more, and then you start mm-hmm. to get overwhelmed. When yeah. I think of my own career in terms of big changes for family, I guess I do remember when I was in residency choosing a fellowship. So I did, you know, you do a four-year pediatrics residency or at least you did in my time and then afterwards you can choose a subspecialty to go into and what i had wanted to do or at the time thought i was going to do was gastroenterology and had actually accepted or had been offered uh, uh, offered a position to do gastroenterology in calgary at the time mm. and uh but this was at the point where uh things were getting serious enough with my with my girlfriend who was going to be my wife right Uh, that I started to think, okay, I got to make some decisions, not just based on, on myself, but on what I want for a family and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And knowing that she wanted to stay in Ottawa or she wanted to be in Ottawa. We weren't even in Ottawa at the time, but that's where her family is. And that's where my family is. And she wanted to be around family, uh, and thinking to myself like, okay, so I go to Calgary for a two-year fellowship where, who might be my wife at the time knows nobody and uh, the one person she does know is gonna be busy all the time because fellowship is a busy time period. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know how How is that gonna work out? That's what made me say, okay, what can I do and stay in Ottawa? And then that's what made me think, oh, well, emergency medicine is something I might be able to do in Ottawa. They didn't have a, a, a gastroenterology training program in Ottawa at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyhow, uh, that put my, me in the mindset to think more about doing emerge, which then I ended up doing. Now I have no regrets about being an emergentologist instead of a gastroenterologist. Uh, so that was a yeah i guess that was a life change that i that i made or a a work decision that was
1: affected Mm -hmm. by life right so it's i think it's important for us as parents to somehow teach this to our children right yes i part of the lesson we're trying for them to learn from us is that we don't have all the answers and that this is this balancing act is a never-ending thing right we always have to because you could get thrown for a loop at any time and suddenly you're behind the eight ball and you're stressed out, but it's something that they need to be mindful of throughout their life and adapt it accordingly to fit within the confines of whatever it is they're trying to accomplish career wise and beyond.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You know, they say, well, nobody on their deathbed ever said, I wish I spent more time at work except (laughs) for that person whose deathbed was a stinky old mattress in the back of an alley. (laughs) That guy probably was like, you know, if I had been at work more then these last few moments would probably be a lot more pleasant. That's what I think about for the kids. Not that I worry about them dying on a dirty old mattress, but, uh, right now we really are trying to get them to understand the value of work and that you work for a reason. I'm often Mm. pointing it out to the kids that, uh, we, uh, we need money for this. Uh, we need money for the house that we have. We need money for these things And so that is why I am going to do some work and mm-hmm. when we go on a vacation or we do something fun I'll say yeah, you know We could do that because we put in a little bit of extra work uh, Or I'll often talk about my job and say oh, you know my job I get to do this and you know why is because I, I Worked for it and <laughs> if you don't want to work hard in school Then there's other things you can do but you won't have this advantage and you won't have that advantage
1: Do was you... so just trying to teach them that? Do you ever feel like because you're a physician, right, and your wife is working, um, but especially because of, you know, you guys are financially comfortable, do you ever feel that because of that your children have it too easy, right, that they're going to be soft as a result? Like whatever comic book they want to read, it's sitting there. When I was a kid, I want to read a comic book, man. I got to beg. I got to beg for that thing. (laughs) I got to wait weeks for it to arrive. Now Amazon Prime shuttles it in the (laughs) the next day, same day sometimes.
0: When I was a kid, you don't—you didn't usually choose your comic. Say, oh, I want to get the latest issue of the Incredible Hulk. Gonna go get that. You go to some secondhand bookstore, and where they usually have a bin of old <laughs> secondhand comic books. You rifle through that, and whatever torn-up comics are available that you can get for twenty-five cents, then that is—that dictates what you actually get to read. <laughs> that's, uh, that's called
1: work, son. You gotta put in that's work. Right.
0: <laughs> that's right. The idea of getting them new off the rack and stuff—that would be a rare treat. So, yeah, I often think about this thing of uh, you know, part of the reason people like us would want to go into medicine is because we didn't have it. It was something that we didn't already have that opportunity. Our parents weren't already doing that. And so there was definitely a uh, you have to be hungry to, to seek out food. But when you're, <laughs> when you're not hungry all the time, do you have the same appreciation for hunting? I don't know. That is, a, that is a thing. I do think about that. I mean, for example, my kids don't really talk much about wanting to be physicians at all, right? <laughs> they, they look at what I do and they don't say, necessarily see that as something as valuable to do. Mm. I mean, they see it as valuable that someone does it. Or they just don't see it as something that they
1: should be doing. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's tricky. I mean, everyone has their own balance that they have to achieve. And so maybe yeah. something about the balance you're projecting is just unappetizing for them at this point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's that's what I do wonder. Right? How do we? How are we by example teaching our kids about work-life balance?
1: Would you be happy if your children didn't work at all?
0: I would be ecstatic if my children didn't have to work at all, <laughs> right? So yeah, if they found some way to be super rich and then they retired at 30 um then yeah i would love it if the only worry i have as a parent is how do i teach them to be upstanding people when they don't have to have the value of hard work but uh, but the fact that they don't have to work would be great and then teaching them here's how you get everything out of life uh would you have but unlimited it, means. but is it's it possible
1: is it possible to get everything out of life without doing any work at all because you're, you're almost at that point saying well the value of life is just leisure right and if you have maximum money you don't have to do anything you can just chill out right if you win the lottery you don't have to do anything i feel like that's still not a full life lived you know no matter how well, certainly fancy your you know your summer home is or how fancy the trips you go on are at that point
0: yeah uh, i mean if you uh, people who've had money or, or people who they don't have money, but they also don't need to work for a job or even people who retire find that the h- human beings aren't really designed to have no purpose, you know, to have no objective. Mm-hmm. So unlimited leisure, people, uh,
1: they struggle like, with that. Can almost get depressed with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: But uh, but the idea of the kids being so rich that they don't have to have a grind of a job. Uh, and then my only problem is to figure out how do I teach them how to make something out of life or to have a purpose without having to go to work. I would love if that was the problem I had to work on. <laughs> but am I happy with the idea of my kids not working because they live in my basement forever or <laughs> you know something like that? Uh, that not so much.
1: Uh, I see your point. I see your point. I mean. I don't know. We, we've spent almost an hour and I don't know if we've covered what we initially set out to talk about.
0: <laughs> uh, how do we teach our kids about work-life balance? How, how do you, I guess, bottom line is that the work, wh- what a balanced life looks like is going to be different for different people. So, you know, some people would look at our lives and already say, no, 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 that's not what I want out of life. That's not the right kind of balance. Uh, so... Uh, you know, f- having the kids figure out what balance is for them, that's something that we could try to help help guide them in mm-hmm. and maybe teach them a little bit what we consider balance. But the important part is that we teach them that there must be balance and that uh, y- you're not gonna be able to get away with any of, of just any one thing. So if you wanna have a life where you, yeah, let's say you wanna have a life of travel and leisure, mm-hmm. well, you can't have that unless you earn some money, okay? So there's gonna have to be some work to then have some leisure in some capacity or the other. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we're trying to teach them. And yeah, if you want to have a family or that type of thing, then also you're not going to have that if all you do is go to work. Right. So it maybe is more about us teaching kids what we think is valuable in life uh, Mm. for them to be able to understand how do you you have work-life balance. And
1: then for them to figure out what's valuable to them in their lives, because it'll be different for each one.
0: You know, when we were asking about a topic for the week, I think what made me think about this topic is I had just come back from a funeral. Hmm. I come back from a funeral for one of uh, my mother's cousins, uh, someone who I would have thought of as an aunt. And uh, yeah, at the funeral, you're seeing her, her, her grown kids talk about her, and her grandkids talking about her, and and you're also seeing all these other family members and people there with their kids and stuff. And it just uh, is making you think a little bit about, okay, at the very end of it all, are you gonna feel that you spent enough time with your kids, mm-hmm. or as a adult, am I going to regret not having spent more time with my parents? You know that type of thing made me think about balance in life, and then work-life balance, and then teaching my kids work-life balance.
1: Mm-hmm. So, do you feel like you're do you feel like you're on the right track, or do we need to make some major adjustments?
0: I, I think right now, I I do try to spend time with the kids, but it's the time that's spent with them that's like, well, they kind of have to spend that time anyway. But I don't know, I, I think maybe I need to start putting in more work now to make sure that when they're older, they, they still want to spend time with, with me. That it's not just, yeah, yeah, we, we used to go on vacations, families go on vacations, or that uh, we would watch cartoons with my dad a- after school, that type of thing. But uh, as the kids are getting older and they're going to start to have their own worlds and their own things that they do, I think that I need to start finding some a connection with each individual kid mm-hmm. to have something that I do with my daughter who's going to be a teenager soon enough. <laughs> and then uh, what's she going to look back on is something like, "Oh yeah, I missed doing this with my dad. I, ha- I have an idea so, for you. Yeah. I
1: have an idea for you that could work. I have not, I haven't okay. tried it in a while, but I read this in a book that another parent wrote. And this was a person that actually had, I think they had quintuplets, but one of them died. Double so there two. were four the same age, okay. but what him and the mom did is they would each week, they would take one of the kids out of school for lunch And the two parents would go with this one kid for lunch, just in isolation from the other three and have a conversation. And they said that over time, that really became a thing for each of the kids because it's it's just a different experience to interact with the kids individually without the other ones around. And so when my daughter, this is pre-COVID, when my daughter was smaller, after school, like on Wednesdays, because her brother was smaller, he'd be asleep at my mom's house. So I would take her to the library to get some library books. But that would mean, you know, we would before we get to the library, we're going to stop off for noodles, have a snack, chat, then go to the library. It was really nice. So I think if you can figure out a way to schedule some of those times in into your regular schedule. To spend and, yeah. and, and do it on an isolated basis. Because, you know, if you're with two kids together, I'm sure it's the same. If you're with four kids together. They can take care of themselves and have a blast. And you're just kind of on the periphery on your phone doing something <laughs> related to work. Right. Yeah. Um, but I would just, I would try tell parents to try something like that, you know, to get a bit of one on one time. Because Sometimes we forget that we're, we're too busy being efficient. Right. And parenting three yeah. kids or two kids at once. It might yeah. be nice to have a little bit of individual time.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. We, we've we done things like daddy-daughter days mm. where it's like me and one of my daughters, that type of thing. But yeah, I, I do notice that my youngest will still sometimes say things like, hey, well, when if we have another daddy-daughter day? Uh, but the oldest one hasn't specifically said, when can I have time just with you? Uh, can't remember the last time she actually asked for that. Mm. So yeah, I think I do need to, I don't think I should wait for her to ask. I think I should be trying to figure out things that we can do. Like, yeah, like just going out for lunch, mm-hmm. uh, something like that.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, You know what? This seems like it's part of a much bigger conversation that will be an ongoing conversation as parents. This is probably the most serious podcast episode we've ever done today, (laughs) like the most (laughs) deep podcast episode we've ever done. So, I mean, you know, we'll keep working on it. That's all we can do as dads.
0: That's right. That's right. We're basically two dads saying that this is something we're thinking about uh, and worrying about and trying to uh, struggle with. This isn't even us telling people, here's how we solve that problem. So (laughs) we will get back to you in 20 years. uh, And I'll tell you if my daughter still comes to visit me.
1: (laughs) Don't worry. We will talk to you before 20 years has passed. We'll see you all in a week.
0: (laughs) See you folks.